You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for January 2018. Today's episode is titled, Management as a Pastoral Function, Part 1. A pedestrian view of management can be summarized as follows. The coordination of men and material to accomplish a specific mission on time, on scope, and on budget. While there is value in this perspective, it lacks metaphysical awareness, that is, God's perspective on management. Furthermore, this common view can lead management to focus on tasks to the detriment of people. When this happens, workers can easily be used inconsistently with their divine design. They are nothing more than pawns to make money for management. Management must guard against using workers for their own personal agendas. This is abuse. One of the key roles of management is to utilize workers according to their divine design and shepherd them into alignment with the will and ways of God. Shepherding workers correctly will produce healthy workers and healthy organizations. Healthy organizations will produce good results and will serve customers with excellence. In all of this, God will be glorified. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Management as a Pastoral Function, Part 1. I think this is the essence of the nature of management is to function as a pastor. Now, many of us have a, a view of a pastor as someone who is fairly meek and mild and uh, quick to visit people in the hospitals and always positive and encouraging and, uh, you know, never confronting you, never challenging you, but just there, just kind of like a, a very, very warm, engaging, merciful person. Well, certainly that is an aspect of being a pastor, but that is not the aspect. The aspect of being a pastor is really the full counsel of God brought to bear in a person as they shepherd you into alignment with the will and ways of God. And that includes not only being merciful and kind, but also holding you accountable and getting you to do things sometimes that you don't want to do. So we're going to look at a text today that talks about the reality of what pastoral function really looks like. This is out of Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to read the text, and there are seven key points that I want to make, and then I want to illustrate those points and how they apply as you think about the workplace. And that's just, obviously you can apply them in every context of life, but I'm going to specifically apply them to the workplace since most of us on this call are in the workplace. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 10, I'm reading out of the NIV version. Uh, The book of Ezekiel is a prophetic book that's written during a time when the Israelites have rebelled against God. They have failed to be faithful. They have failed to fulfill the commandment of God. In in Exodus 19, he told them, uh, if you will obey me, then I will be your God and you will be my people. And they said, yes, we will do it. Later on in Deuteronomy, he told the Israelites, he said, you will fail at this, but that's part of my plan and I will restore you. But part of the purpose of God allowing them to fail is to reveal to us our own sin, our own proclivities and our our need for Christ. And so in this particular text in Ezekiel 34, he is unpacking for us the failure of the leaders of the Israelites, the shepherds who were charged to oversee and lead the people of God. And you will see in their failures, these are, these are principles that you can infer because these are things they didn't do that they should have done. So we will, we will read mainly the things they failed at and we will then infer the opposite, which is the things they should have done as good managers 
our good pastors, our good shepherds of the flock. Reading from Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. That's the first clue to bad shepherding or bad pastoring or bad management is you only take care of yourself. You're always looking out just for you. He goes on to give us a rhetorical question, which means that there's an implied answer. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And the implied answer is, well, yes, they should take care of the flock. You eat the curds. Now, the curds are the choices of the uh, uh, foods. You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. In other words, you use the flock for your own agenda, for your own purposes. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. You see, in a fallen world, there are wild animals. And the sheep are at risk. And the shepherd has to protect the flock from, from the wild animals. And one of the ways you do that is you keep them together. You don't let them scatter. The sheep naturally scatter. They don't know any better. That's just what they do. They wander off. They don't recognize that they need to be in a flock. And so the shepherds have to say, okay, well, I know you want to go over there, but you can't do that. That's not safe. You need to stay here so I can watch out and protect you if you're scattered, I can't protect you from the animals. He goes on to say, my sheep wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill, which means the shepherds were not on duty. They were not keeping the flock together. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd. Now notice uh, this is the first time he says they lack the shepherd. He's been talking about the shepherds have not done their job. And then he says he lacks the shepherd. So basically he's using this word lacks the shepherd metaphorically, meaning that if you have not shepherded properly, it's like you didn't shepherd at all. You're not even on the job. You're not at your post shepherding the flock. Because my flock lacks a shepherd, he says, and so has been plundered, has become food for all the animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, so here comes the judgment. Here comes the consequences for bad management, bad parenting, bad shepherding, bad pastoring. O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. This is pretty serious. The shepherds are going to get fired. They're going to lose their positions. They're going to lose their income. They're going to lose their resources. They're going to lose their ability to do what they had done in the past. They're going to get removed because 
the chief shepherd of the sheep will, will take care of his flock. And if those he's pointed, appointed to be his under shepherds don't do their jobs, they will be replaced. So it's a very serious warning. Now, it might be easy to say, well, it only applies to Israel in that situation, but you got to keep in mind that Paul tells us in the New Testament that the example of Israel was given to us to teach us lessons. And we should learn lessons as we study, as we understand their mistakes, what they did wrong, and we need to draw the right conclusions about how we should do things differently and then make the choice to obey and do things differently. So I want to focus in on how, how we apply this pastoral function here, these, these seven things. So first, let me summarize these seven things real quickly for you. The first thing he notes here is the idea of leading. Leading is about leading people into alignment with the will and ways of God. That's the only proper way to lead. Now, we, we have a culture today that's all about learning about leadership skills. That's a very common thing is to learn leadership skills. And those are wonderful things to learn if they lead you to, into alignment with the will of God. Sadly, what I've seen is I've read the literature, whether it's books or papers and articles of all types, including articles by many Christians, there are very few Christians that I have found that have ever made that distinction that the only valid leadership is leadership into alignment with the will and ways of God. I think it's very important we get clear on that. So that's the proper way to lead. Secondly, you feed the sheep. You feed the sheep the things the sheep needs to be healthy so the sheep can do what they're called to do. That is critical. You have to feed them properly. They need spiritual food. They need physical food, obviously applying to human beings. Third, you have to strengthen them. There are going to be some who are weak. And the ones that are weak, they need help. They need their muscles strengthened. They, whether it's their mental muscles, their emotional muscles, their physical muscles, you all need our muscles strengthened so that we can be at full capacity. And then there are some that are sick. They're not just weak, they're sick. And they have to be healed. And their wounds need to be bound up. Now, they can be sick because of a lot of reasons, whether it's they've caught a disease or they just injured themselves in some way. But we have to take care of those that are hurt. It's beyond you know, lacking strength. It's being hurt or wounded. The fifth thing he says, you have to find the sheep. There are sheep out there that are just flat lost. In fact, you the default is sheep tend to not know where they're going they tend to not know what they really should be doing. And this happens to all of us. For example, as parents, when children come into the world, they are lost as a goose. They don't have a clue what life's all about. And you're going to spend 20 years trying to help them get lined up with God. And just uh, you can take a quick look at how well we parents are doing that by looking at the number of children when they eat, eat, reach, reach, uh, reach age 20 or so who can identify what the call of God is on their life. And I've studied this for a long time and talked to many college uh, professors and college faculty and deans of colleges, and the comment I get is universal. Almost no one at age 20 or 21 or 22 has a clue to what they're called to do. Now, what is that saying about our parenting today? I think it's an indictment on our parenting. So if these kids are going into young adulthood with no clue, and then colleges are by and large not helping them find the purpose of God, and then they go to work in the workplaces, they still don't have a clue. 
And now the employers, the managers there, they've got to take on this mantle of helping people discern the purpose of God. People are by and large lost. And the role of shepherds is always to help the sheep find their way. This should start in the homes with the parents. It should be happening in our churches. It should be happening in our educational institutions. And it should be happening, obviously, by in our man- with our managers and our leaders of organizations. Sixth thing is to rule. A rule has to do with really, you know, how you, you know, conduct. Are you conducting, you know, your leadership and management justly or unjustly? Are you using them and abusing them or you lining them up with the purpose of God? And by virtue of them lining up with the purpose of God individually, the organization then is lining up with the purpose of God. That's what proper rulership looks like. And finally, the seventh element here that he mentions is protect. We have a world full of enemies, those who are opposing the cause of Christ. And that happens not only, it's not only Satan, but it's our own flesh. Many times the people that oppose the cause of Christ, they happen to go to church with you, but they're not lining up with God. So they're opposing Christ. Many times it's the leaders of the church or leaders of your community that they may profess to be Christians, but they're opposing the cause of Christ because they're executing their own agenda. So sound shepherding, sound pastoring, sound parenting, sound church leadership, sound shepherding, sound management is all about protecting the sheep by keeping them on course, lined up with God, getting them in the right context to do what God has called them to do. So let's just apply this now to management, to managing organizations. I want to just give you an example of each of these particular situations, each of these principles. So the first one is about leading people. An example I've I've noted here, uh, and by the way, these are not the only examples. These are just examples. Uh, You can find a lot of examples. And when when I show you a person here, I'm not saying that's the only thing he did well. I'm saying... This is an example of someone who did lead well. He did other things well, but he did lead well, and he is a master at leading by serving. This is Herb Kelleher, the the founder, one of the founders of Southwest Airlines. He understood servant leadership, and the reason he understood that is he understood the golden rule, which was taught to him by his mother, who was apparently a woman of God, and she, she pounded that into him. You treat people the way you want to be treated. And so he is famous. Of the people that have been around him and know him know if you, you can be in a social setting with her. And if he starts talking to you, you get his undivided attention. Totally focuses on you. You, you walk away from that conversation know you were heard and you were important. Because he is concerned about you. You see, and that's what a servant leader is. Fundamentally, I'm concerned about the call of God on your life. And when I engage you, I'm concerned about trying to see what God's going to give me the grace to see and help you then by pointing you to that and encouraging you to walk that out. So that is a key role of management is to really recognize the individual purpose of God in each person, getting the right people in the right positions and now empowering them to do what they're called to do 
for the glory of God. And when you now put the collective effect of everyone in the organization being in the right position, doing what they're called to do according to the will and ways of God, and now you have the organization functioning at a level that most organizations don't even dream about. Incredible performance, incredible efficiency, incredible effectiveness. This is the first step in management. The next step in management is you have to feed. You have to recognize as human beings, we have to be fed on every level. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we have to be fed. And probably one of the greatest of this was Marion Wade. And again, Marion Wade was, he excelled in a lot of things. So this is one of the things he excelled at. And he got to this place of recognizing how important the word of God was in his business by virtue of nearly dying in an industrial accident. And it was through that hard experience that he had a revelation that the Bible was the handbook of business. Up to that point, he ran his business like basically everybody else did, just using secular thinking. And now once he came to a revelation that the Bible was the handbook for business, he repented and asked the Lord to give him grace to recover from his, his, uh, his uh, injury and to return to business he asked the Lord, if you'll give me that grace, I will commit to the Bible being my handbook for the business. And he did that. The Lord granted him that grace. And then based on that, he built up the company that became known as Service Master, arguably one of the greatest companies of the 20th century, because he managed understanding you've got to feed on the word, starting with me as the manager, and now I have to feed the word into the sheep the people that are underneath me that are, I, have, I have responsibility for. Then there's the strengthening, and arguably one of the pioneers of strengthening people, that is taking their weaknesses and turning them into strengths, was Thomas Watson of IBM. It was Thomas Watson who recognized that he couldn't just go out and hire someone off the street and expect that person to come in and function well in his company he realized that they needed to be trained, that they were, they were lost, they were confused, they didn't know what to do. And yeah, most of them had college training, but didn't mean a lot. They still needed training, specific training, to really guide them and align them with the purpose of God in IBM. So he was a pioneer in this. And for years, it was the organization to go to if you really wanted training and you really wanted to maximize your opportunity for success. So training was huge. Anybody went to IBM, you would be trained. That was just a given. Then there's Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy of uh, Chick-fil-A fame. Truett Cathy was a very godly man and felt led to start Chick the Chick-fil-A business. And along the way, uh, he discovered that as he hired people and he'd be in the franchise that People could not work very well if they had marriage problems. That would be a real problem. So he realized that many of them were sick. They were sick because their marriages were sick. So Truett Cathy sat down one day and realized, you know, I need to do something about this. So he built a marriage retreat and began to sponsor marriage retreat, marriage weekends, basically getaways, three-day weekends, four-day weekends. He paid the bill. He paid for all the expenses, including bringing in top-notch marriage uh, experts to train their, his people, his employees, and his franchisees in how to have godly marriages, how to have biblically-based biblically marriages. 
He knew you will never work well if your marriage is sick. So I'm going to help you get your marriage as well. So that was one of his claims to fame. And again, he did lots of great things, but this is one of probably the greatest things. He spent over a million dollars building this marriage retreat and blew a lot of people away. They didn't understand why he would waste that money. That's how they viewed it. Waste that money on all these, this marriage counseling, these marriage retreats, these marriage seminars, these marriage getaways. What's all this about? And he explained to them, this is the way you heal. You heal broken homes. And when people are working out of broken homes, they are broken people. I don't want broken people in my organization. I need healthy people. So I have to help them heal their marriages and then they come to work healthy. And now they can serve the people that we serve in good health. So he really understood that and understood the power of that investment. And then there's James Cash Penny. All of you know J.C. Penny Company. Of course, today is no, it's not, a, not anywhere close to what it was, you know, 75, 80 years ago. J.C. Penny realized when God gave him favor to start the Penny Company, he realized that the proper model for his organization was to go into a community, to find a partner, train that partner, and then build a store, stock the store, and hand over that store to the partner, and then split the profits. And that's how Penny got started. That was her model. By the way, the, the Chick-fil-A model is very similar today to the model that Penny started with interestingly enough. But J.C. Penney realized the, the importance of, of finding the right leaders. He realized that they were out there and he knew that they were called to be part of his organization, but he had to go find them. And so what he did, he actually resigned as CEO of J.C. Penney Company in about 1917. And he appointed one of his key leaders to be CEO, who was totally shocked, and he asked, asked James Cash, he said, Cash, what are you going to do if you're not going to be the CEO? This is your company. He said, yeah, I know it's my company. I still own it, but you're going to be the CEO. And he said, what are you going to do? And Cash said, I'm going to find our managers. I'm going to go find the people that we're supposed to partner with, and I'm going to train them. So he became essentially the head of HR. He viewed that as the most valuable way he could contribute to the company and build the company that would honor and glorify God. And by the way, that was always a big deal for Penny. Penny had a profound experience with God and was really convinced that it was important that he honored God with how he conducted business. And then there's a real manufacturing company out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, a number of years ago, they realized that they were not ruling well. They were abusing their people. And the way they were abusing their people was they were not paying the living wage. So the management team became convicted and repented of failing to pay a living wage and began to study what would a living wage look like here. And so they came up with a number. And when they came up with that number, this was be the, the average worker on the assembly line producing the products they produced would get paid this wage. It was nearly double what the industry standard was. Well, the first when you first look at that, you might say, well, throw up your hands and say it doesn't work. We, you know, we can't compete paying double the wages of what our competition is paying. But they didn't do that. They just began to press in and seek the Lord in prayer. Lord, we know you want us to rule well. 
to not abuse people. We, we, we know you want us to pay a just wage. That must be a living wage. They must, our workers must be able to live on what they earn. And the, the way they calculated living wage was not extravagant. It was very simple. You know, what would a, a family of four need to make to live in a modest home and to have healthy food, have a car to, for transportation, have some simple clothes, and be able to, you know, pay the utility bills and the insurance and taxes. What would that take? And so they calculated a very conservative number, but it was still way above the industry standard. So as they were wrestling with this in prayer, one day it came to them, you know, as we are building quality people, we don't have to have all this middle management. We got a bunch of quality control people and middle middle managers that we really don't have to have because these people are becoming very self-governed under God. Self-governed under God means that you make decisions aligned with the will and ways of God without a lot of supervision. That's called maturity. So these people were becoming mature as the company's treating them with respect and dignity and honoring the, the call of God in their lives. And so over time, the workers caught on. They said, we can, we can do our own quality control we don't need a middle manager. We can self-govern. And so they were able to eliminate a whole layer, layer of management because the workers became so mature and they were able to pay them that living wage and the company did not suffer. They were able to compete. Well, this is what happens when you start lining up with God's system, his processes, his principles. Incredible things happen. And finally, Go back to another Southwest Airlines uh, executive. This is Colleen Barrett. At one time, she was the secretary to Herb Kelleher. Eventually, she would become head of the HR, and beyond that, she became president for a season. But while she was head of HR, they realized at Southwest that it was very important to protect the culture, that the wolves were trying to invade and disrupt the culture they had there. And the culture was largely governed by the Golden Rule. And treating people well was extremely important, whether it was in the organization or treating the customers and vendors well. So Colleen Barrett, while she was head of HR, made it a policy that within 30 days of every hire at Southwest Airlines, she would meet that person, whoever it was, wherever they were hired. And her job was to size up, does this person fit? Are they going to, is their value system congruent enough with us to where they can make a contribution that will be positive, that will help our organization grow and mature and do what it's called to do. And she was basically the protector of the corporate culture. That, sir, that turned out to be an extremely vital role, vital function, because, and she probably didn't know this, she was practicing a biblical principle. She was protecting the sheep. You see, the sheep can be attacked internally and externally. And sometimes the biggest attacks can come from people within. And she was protecting that culture. So here's just seven simple examples of these principles at work and how these principles are powerful to help us shepherd the flocks that God's put us over. Not only our families, our churches, but also our businesses. We need to be managers who manage as good, wise, effective pastors. So may God give us grace to learn how to do that and do it well. In Jesus' name, amen.